drag is also where I redefined or rediscovered that, that trans, the true part of me. We got a lot of people that wants to, they can't. So it's like, you know, you always gonna have people to criticize you when you're in drag. Why are you dressing like a, a, a woman if you want to be a mistress? You know, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that. They, that's the way they judge you on. Man first, uh, woman last. Drag has changed the bar totally too. Um, for good and for bad. Um, so that's another advent of drag. From the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project, my name is Megan. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am an undergraduate research fellow at Roanoke College with the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project. And this episode is A Look at Gender, the History of Drag in Roanoke, Virginia. The city of Roanoke is home to a rich queer past. From the gay bars to the pride in the park, from fighting for equality to fundraising to battle the HIV AIDS crisis, the city has had a lot to offer. That being said, one of the biggest queer scenes in Roanoke has always been that of the drag show. Drag shows consist of performers, namely drag queens, but also sometimes drag kings. Traditionally, we think of drag queens as men who dress in women's clothing and makeup. The queens imitate and frequently exaggerate female mannerisms and gender roles for the purposes of entertainment. These shows were hosted at local gay bars in Roanoke since at least the 1970s. The earliest shows occurred in a bar known as the Tradewinds, which was located at the corner of Franklin Road and Elm Avenue and opened in the 1950s. So you said Tradewinds? Uh, yeah, Tradewinds. Was that a place that you frequented? It was a bar. It was a gay bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard. I read something about that. Um, mm-hmm. The first gay bar here in mm-hmm. Roanoke. Yeah, sure enough was. So what was that like? Uh, was there a, a diverse like? Were there like was it mostly gay or were there like straights? Uh, some straights came there, there, but I think it was mostly gay. The Tradewinds was Roanoke's first known gay bar and hosted the region's first known drag competition, the Miss Gay Roanoke Pageant. This pageant began in the 1970s and was still occurring as recently as 2019, right before the COVID-19 pandemic. Back then, before I came here, there was um, the, the trade winds. They started the Miss Gay Runner pageant, and that's when it was Carolyn Sue Wilson, Lee Cruz, uh, Roger Hartberger, and some of them, they started a gay pageant. And back then, they had crowned Laura Hart, which was the first Miss Gay Runner. And then from there they moved it to from there they moved it to the horoscope. And that's when Carolyn Sue Wilson was crowned Miss Gay Rock in seventy I think she was crowned in seventy five, if I'm not mistaken.
That's Miss Grace Kelly, one of the most legendary drag queens in Roanoke. Throughout this episode, you will hear more from her, as well as Carolyn Sue Wilson, the first black queen crowned Miss Gay Roanoke, Anton Black, and other commentators on Roanoke's drag scene. Each played their own role in the history of drag, each with a different story to tell. The majority of the voices you will hear today were documented as part of the QTPOC project in 2018. Four young black queer women were hired and trained to conduct interviews with black queer and trans elders in our community. You will hear their voices throughout this episode. Miss Grace said, Carolyn Sue Wilson was crowned Miss Gay Roanoke in 1975. I'll let her tell her story. Well, the first year I started going, I went to Trade Winds, a bar called Trade Winds. I don't know if y'all, y'all are too young to remember Trade Winds, but it was on Franklin Road. There was, uh, I think that was the only gay bar here, so we, I went there and, uh, Ran a pageant, became uh, second run up to Miss Gay Roanoke, <laughs> which was exciting. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, I, you know, then they closed and it went to another bar called Murphy's, which I never went there. And then Horoscope. Y'all ever heard of Horoscope? Yeah. I, I started going there and there. I won Miss Gay Roanoke. I was the first, first black Miss Gay Roanoke. The second and first black. And it was amazing. And then from there, I just, my life just bloomed. <laughs> I became me. Won a lot of awards, you know. They said I was the first person to go to Norfolk and win uh, first out of town uh, entertainment. I won an award in Norfolk. I've been around a few blocks. So, do you remember your first performance? Yeah, uh, yeah, oh God, it was in 70-something, 70, probably 72, probably 72, and my first song was Tell Mama, the first uh, direct song I did was Tell Mama, I remember, <laughs> I could do it for you now, <laughs> but that was my first song, and I remember uh, I had on, God, what did I have on, a white dress, I think it was a white dress. I would, uh, I think it was gold up in here or something like that. It was way back. But uh, I enjoyed my good tips back then. And really, really, my, my, my life started out real good with, my gay life started out real good. People start, you know, respecting me and calling on me and friends and they liked me real well. Carlo Wilson was the very first drag queen that they put in the Ronaco magazine. And see back then, I mean, you don't see no other drag queens in there. But back in the day, she was a fabulous entertainer. Still is today. When the HIV/AIDS crisis hit Roanoke, the first case here was in 1983. The drag shows provided a venue for HIV testing, public health outreach, and later, fundraising to raise money for people living with AIDS. Sisters in the Name of Love was an organization of drag queen performers founded in April of 1995. This HIV-AIDS service organization was based in Roanoke and hosted many benefit shows to raise money for HIV-AIDS response. Shows were hosted in various locations, including Backstreet Cafe, the Grand Ballroom, and the Alternative Complex. Barbara Mayberry, executive director of the organization, ran The Alternative, 
We had the opportunity to talk to her in 2016 as part of our oral history initiative. Here she is talking about the organization. We were called Sisters in the Name of Love because a bunch of drag queens started it because they knew if they could do fundraising, then we could provide funds for people who needed it. Food, clothing, um, housing stipends, whatever it was. And um, then we were um, active for about five years, uh, became a nonprofit organization. This group could also be found at Roanoke's annual Pride in the Park celebrations in the 90s, always raising awareness of the ongoing AIDS crisis. The Park, a local gay bar, opened its doors in 1978 and soon began hosting major drag competitions, including Miss Gay Roanoke, among others. Once the trade winds closed, it became the place to go, especially for drag shows would leave church on Sunday night and go down to the park and dance and watch the drag show because I thought the drag shows were the best thing ever, ever, ever and that, you know, I felt right at home there. The bar fit everything in there, so it was like, in a way, you had all those different various aspects of gay, such as the, the drag queens and the leathers and maybe the butch queens and, and, and the lesbians. Drag has changed the bar totally, too, um, for good and for bad. Um, so that's another advent of drag, um, which the park is a huge drag bar. Um, I judge there. So uh, um, it, it's a big drag bar. Um, there were drag queens. Um, um, some of the early Miss Gay Roanoke's, I still I know. Um, but... Uh, um, outside pageants on a national level weren't there. They were all local pageants. But now the national pageants come to Roanoke, which is totally different. The park is still open today and drag shows are still happening there. You got a lot that you got a lot of friends that work. We see we call ourselves drag queens and we call the butch boys bunnies. And a lot of boys wanted to try but never did. As we move through this history of drag, gender identity is one of the topics that I will keep circling back to. I want to know how gender plays out in the lives of drag performers. Many performers find that they can embody their true selves on the stage, especially when they're not able to be themselves in their lives off of the stage. But this year, I am your first transgender Mr. MR Roanoke Pride. So for me, that was huge. And for some trans men, that was huge, you know, because that hadn't happened before, you know. And it actually made me nervous, so nervous, going into the competition because I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm running this as my life. And it was really the first competition I've been able to run as I live. And I did Ray Charles at the one, so I was really happy with that. Anton Black, who you just heard, is a black trans man who performs as a drag king. Historically, drag kings have included women who dress as men on the stage and also trans masculine people. Drag is also where 
I redefined or rediscovered that that trans the true part of me um, because I had buried that deep after that whole Bible thing with my grandma I buried it really deep but um, you know I realized when I was putting on beards and looking in the mirror you know oh, this is who I am you know and Anton who you see on stage is truly who I aspire to be they had a the drag kings, I guess that's what they call them, but that's not the true word. That's what they call them when they perform, but it didn't seem to me that they were just women just dressing in men clothes, but not to the extent it is now that you can't tell them apart. Along with exploring gender identity, many drag queens and kings also explored how to modify their bodies so as to portray a typically female or male body in the most accurate way possible. Much of the time, for queens or female impersonators, Areas of the body, such as the hips and the chest, are greatly exaggerated, which is part of the idea of drag. However, sometimes they are criticized for going too far in how they change their bodies. Becoming a woman can be complicated. So you mentioned that uh, some pageants had, like, the swimsuit, but those mm-hmm. are the people who had, like, breasts and things like mm-hmm. that. So is there was there, like, a big difference between, like, pageants for, like, people who have done, like, you know surgeries and things and then those who did it? Oh, it's, a, it's definitely a big, you know, big, well, it's the, uh, the look, you know, the look of it. Uh, like Miss, uh, God, what's the page? <laughs> I was talking about, Miss America pageant, you can't have breasts, you can you can have things done above the neck, but anything below, you can, like hips, you can do Miss Continental or something like that, you can have anything you want, yeah. Mr. America, they say you're a man first, and <laughs> which I don't. Why are you dressing like a a, a woman if you want to be a Mr. You know, I don't. I don't get that. I don't get that. They, that's the way they judge you on man first, uh, woman last. And a lot of us back in the day, we know about hip pads. The firm used to give you that cup. The way a lot of girls don't understand that either. And plus, they don't understand about the milk factory situation either. A lot of girls back in the day, we would take and get surgical gloves, and you tie the fingers in the knot, turn the gloves wrong side out, and you fill it up with lotion, then you tie it up with a rubber band. And then back in the old days, back then, <laughs> you know, they're moving, you know, and back in the old days, the girls used to take our pantyhose and tie it in a knot and fill it up with bird seed. Part of the drag life, one that I had never heard of before, that was and is important to many queens and kings is the idea of the drag family. These families can be described as found families of older queens and kings who have connected with and mentored younger queens and kings in the way of drag. For some of these families, like the Black family, led by Anton Black, their bonds go beyond the stage and into their personal lives, and they spend time together outside of drag as a family. I'm the patriarch of the Black family. Um... I've been a drag almost five years. Uh, for me, it was... There's other families in Rhino. And drag means different things to other families in Rhino. Uh, and for for me, it was... We're kind of the misfit toys. I'm going to be as honest as I can be. Um, 
the black family in itself, we all have some issues, okay? Which I think is fantastic. And I'm being honest because none of us thinks we're better than anybody. You know, we, we all have some, some of those issues of self-doubt and so forth. Um, as a family, we come together and we help each other. We pick each other up. Now, sometimes, as a patriarch, I, I have to clamp down on somebody. And sometimes they get butthurt about it. I'm not going to lie. But it's about becoming better. And they push me to be better. So the kids that I raised, for the most part, are in the black family. Um, we do have other outside kids who are in the black family. They come down Thursday nights. We practice. We work on stoning vest or whatever, you know, um, sit down and talk about ideas, you know, um, sometimes it turns into a mini prison meeting, you know, that type thing, because they're involved, you know, they want to be involved. Yeah, I've been to a few people, but nothing major. Uh, I showed them how to put the makeup on, eyelashes and stuff like that, but nothing major. I never really took anybody and, and put them under my wing and say, you're my daughter, you're my this, you're my that. I got, okay, my daughter Christina. I taught her very well about drag and everything, and I taught her how to make costumes. I did everything for her on the first talent at the park she won. The racial divide in drag was no different than how it was in every other social setting in Roanoke. It is important to note that socioeconomic status played a part in the separation in the drag community and the black queens were the ones generally more experienced with poverty. Black queens were also more likely in the 70s and 80s to engage in part-time sex work. I was a big drag community because uh, as I remember in, in in the bar, it was, it, was, it was like two different sets of drag queens because you had the black drag queens and the white drag queens and most of the, and most of the, well, and two different poverty levels too. Uh, well, that's what you want to call it, you know, because most of the, the black drag queens were the ones who worked the street and prostituted themselves to make a living off of and, and, and were the ones who had jobs would just dress up and come to the bar and stay inside and, and the other ones would just stay outside and they would come in maybe after one or two after, you know, after they've been after work or something and that was a difference but when it come down to performing they all performed on the same level when it came to performing on the stage. So you were the first black Miss Gay Rono. Mm -hmm. Were there other people of color like, you know, oh, yeah. performing mm -hmm. and things? Mm -hmm. Like were, like, was it like how was like the ratio like were there like um, just a few black people and like predominantly white or like uh, when I started it was just I think I was the only one back then and, and then as uh, it you know progressed it uh, like the horoscope the horoscope was the one that really had a lot of blacks in it so uh, yeah a lot of blacks was in it then and down um, it's still a lot of blacks in it now but it's prominent more you know, white girls, white girls, boys, girls. Go back to trade winds again. It not very many blacks came to uh, trade winds back then. You had a few, but not very many. And the ones that that I 
that accepted me when I first came here was the, the white people. They, they, you know, they came to my side. And, <laughs> the black people, the black girls, they used to shun, you know, they just wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't deal with me or anything, you know, no kind of way. I don't know why, I, you know, I don't consider myself any other way but me, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me or anything. Well, back in the day, it was more... It was a lot of white queens doing drag. It was and then it started being where it was a, it got into being a lot of black stuff. But uh, the most amazing thing I have learned in my drag career is I have always wanted to see a, a whole black passion. And up in Atlanta, they have all that. They have Miss Black Universe. They have Miss Black America. They have Miss Black USA. And it's so nice to see that. I mean. You'd be shocked at what you see in those kind of patches because a lot of people, they do old school and they have the boy patches too. It's always going to be somebody that's going to criticize you on stage. But I learned when it comes to passenger, if you don't have yourself together, you will be the basement beast of the ball. Just like Miss Grace says, there are always going to be people who criticize you for doing what you love. But, as she also says, if you don't ignore the haters, you will always be beat back down. As accepted as drag is today, it wasn't always that way, even in the queer community. I knew that, you know, some places didn't like drag queen. And then Last Straw was another gay bar, but it was totally butch. You couldn't go in drag. So have you seen, like, the younger generation, um, I've heard that the drag queens coming up now, they're a little more uh, like disrespectful to the older drag queens. Have you seen that firsthand? or? It, no, I haven't seen it or heard it. it uh, that doesn't mean it ain't happened, but a lot of the older doesn't perform at the park anymore. It seems like they have um, once or twice a year, they have an event where they all perform and people you can buy a ticket to see them. See, back then in the old days, girls pulled together and they weren't in their little cliques. But these days, the younger children, they, they'd have made it into a competition thing. Back in our days, we didn't do that. Everybody put guns, they had fun getting in drag, they helped each other, but they have some snobbish people, honey. The long ones are very disrespectful to the older girls. And sometimes you have to put them in their place. When the park was sold, or whatever, uh, it divided, you know, the ones that I knew uh, from the ones that's now. Uh, from what I understand, the ones at the bar now don't want the old people performing and this person performing and that person performing. But the new people, like at the Jefferson, where I performed at the Jeffersons, they want the older people and stuff like that. So are you seeing a difference between uh, drag back then versus drag now? Yeah, big difference, especially when it comes to everything, the entertainment of it, the how they perform, the look of it, and the glamour of it, because a lot of them um, would like glamour. It was, it was sort of a difference where the people, I don't know, it was like, 
they were like stars. Some of them would come. I mean, they came from South Carolina, all the way from Columbia, just to perform here and Myrtle Beach, and a lot of them came up just to come to that little this little bar here. And so that I mean, and they, that bar has sent out a lot of uh, girls and made a lot of won a lot of crowns, championship crowns, Miss Miss America, Miss Day America was a big pageant, and a lot of them won the crown on that stage. And so it's a famous bar, it's well known around. It's going through some changing now, but it's still open, and, and it's a shame that it's sort of a, a rift in the community. Set. Thank you to Dr. Samantha Rosenthal and QTPOC project members Kitty Bridgewater, Princess Carter, Ashley Griffin, and Caitlin Lewis for their contributions to this podcast. All of the audio interviews in this podcast are drawn from oral histories in the LGBTQ plus history collection at the Virginia Room in the Roanoke Public Libraries located in Roanoke, Virginia. The oral history narrators featured in today's program include Ms. Grace Kelly, Larry Forrest, Carolyn Sue Wilson, Anton Black, Barbara Mayberry, and Peter Thornhill. All of the music in today's podcast is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, Purple Planet Music, and Pixabay. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share. You can also find more information about the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project and this podcast at www.lgbthistory.pages.roanoke.edu. We are also on Facebook at Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project. And follow us on Instagram at SWBA LGBTQ History. Thank you for your contributions to making history with us.